Hello and welcome to Run the Table. I'm your host, Bryce Tinson. We got a jam-packed show for you today. No Obert. He's uh, he's a little busy. Um, so we're just going to get right into it. College football takeaways, NFL takeaways. There are some huge games on Saturday, and the very first one I want to talk about is Alabama-Texas. Now, Texas obviously won that game by 10 points in Bryant-Denny Stadium, and hats off to him. That was a fantastic performance. It even exceeded my expectations for how I thought they were going to play in that game. I thought it was going to be a lot lower scoring. They put up 34 on a very good Alabama defense, and they did it with physicality. They dominated the trenches on both offense and defense. An offensive line from Alabama that we thought, that some thought was going to be elite levels looked, I don't want to say bad, uh, but didn't look as good as advertised. Uh, J.C. Latham on one side and true freshman Caden Proctor, who was the best tackle in last year's class, flipped him from Iowa. Um, I was very impressed with how Texas played, especially Quinn Ewers in that offense, came up with big play after big play after big play in the most crucial moments possible. But I want to talk about Alabama because Texas really isn't my team. That's that's more Bobby's team. And I, you know, if he were here, we would have gone into a whole long spiel about it, but he's not. And so I want to talk about Alabama and, and the problem that they have. And yes, I just talked about the offensive line not being as good um, as, as we thought it was going to be. But they have a quarterback issue. Jalen Milrow was the starting quarterback and did not exit the game at any point, even though it was very clear that Alabama could have used a quarterback change. And, and, and Nick Saban, being as good of a head coach as he is, you would think that he makes that change, you know, puts Ty Simpson or Tyler Buckner in the game uh, and, and, and maybe sparks his team a little bit, sparks his offense, who had been struggling to really do much of anything. They uh, couldn't run the ball in structure very well, couldn't throw the football. Obviously, that stems from Jalen Milrow and uh, his inability to be an accurate and consistent passer. That more that says a lot more about you know what Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner have shown on in, in practice and on their tape uh, that they didn't get into the game at, at some point. So uh, I think that's a big issue, but it's really an issue for the entire SEC and kind of why college football feels a little bit more open this year than it has in the past. Um, you know, I, I, I took the liberty of of writing down every single SEC starting quarterback this season. Now every single team has only had one quarterback in the game because. You know, they they haven't really blown teams out. There's been uh, some blowouts. You know, Jalen Milrow and, and Alabama did it to Middle Tennessee in week one. But we're talking about starters who who, who played these games. And I, I just want to go through this list real quick. Jaden Daniels, LSU. K.J. Jefferson, Arkansas. Spencer Rattler, South Carolina. Will Rogers, Mississippi State. Connor Wegman, Texas A&M. Joe Milton, Tennessee. Devin Leary, Kentucky. Jackson Dart, Mrs. Ole Miss, I guess, because you can't call him Mississippi. Um, Jalen Milrow, like I mentioned. Carson Beck, Georgia. Brady Cook, Missouri. Peyton Thorne, Auburn. And A.J. Swan, Vanderbilt. Oh, what's missing there? An elite-level quarterback. I'm going to get into this with my next takeaway. But uh, the SEC does not have an elite-level quarterback this year. None of those guys I would consider a top-20 quarterback. The only one I, I, I would think about, especially with the way that Jaden Daniels played in Week 1 against uh, FSU, is Spencer Rattler. I mean, he looked good with a terrible offensive line. We're talking about one of the worst offensive lines at the Power 5 level. 
And other than that, I mean, KJ Jefferson hasn't shown the ability to be consistent passer, and he's he's a solid runner, but that, that's about it. And Will Rogers kind of man, like those are the kind of guys you're looking at, and you got a true fr- or not a true freshman, but a first time starter in Carson Beck at Georgia. We don't know who he really is yet, so you can't really say it much there. Joe Milton, what's Joe Milton other than a, a guy who has a rocket attached to his arm or attached to his shoulder? He can't he can't throw the ball accurate he, accurately. He can't be a true quarterback. Um, he's not the field general that you need him to be. And so I think that this is, this is why it feels like nobody in the SEC outside of Georgia is, you know, at the top of their game. And, and Georgia's really just because Kirby has done such a good job recruiting that they just have guys on top of guys at other positions. You know, Ladd McConkey and Brock Bowers being uh, two guys at, at wide receiver and tight end where it's, it doesn't really matter who your quarterback is, just get them the ball. And even they're struggling a little bit with, uh, with their running back room. And a guy like... I mean, they're kind of a weird example because they haven't had an elite quarterback. I wouldn't call Stetson an elite quarterback. Um, so they've been able to do it without one. But, you know, Alabama last year needed Bryce Young. Tennessee, Hendon Hooker um, was a great college quarterback. Uh, they just don't have it this year. And, and I think that's what's making, you know, this uh, this season, especially for the SEC and the SEC West in, in particular, so exciting because you don't know who's going to come away with it. Now, you obviously guess Alabama or LSU just because they have talent at the other positions on the football field. But, like, even Jane Daniels, you know, like I mentioned, week one didn't look great. Last week was fine, but, like, he hasn't wowed me. Last year might have been a fluke. He looks like more like ASU uh, Jane Daniels than he does – 2022 LSU Jaden Daniels. So uh, I, I think there's some serious question marks there with the SEC quarterbacks. Now let's get to the actual, in my opinion, best division or best conference of college football in this, this season. And that's the Pac-12. And you can, you can say that, oh, well, top to bottom, the SEC is better. Um, you can't really say that about the Big Ten, in my opinion. Uh, you can't even say that about the ACC. You can't say that about the Big 12 as much. But like some people will argue the SEC top to bottom is better. And fine, if you want, if you if you have a better, you know, 10 through 14, I guess in this case, um, eight through or nine through 12 for the Pac for the Pac 12. I don't really care. The Pac 12 has eight teams ranked in the AP top 25, and yes, the AP or the AP poll is not the end all be all. It is not the gospel, but I do think that it is indicative of of the kind of view of the Pac-12 right now and it won't be like this for the entire season because at some point they're going to play each other and they're going to the losses are going to start stacking up on 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 resumes unless they all just beat each other and are all eight and four at the end of the season and they all backfill that top 25 which who knows could happen I'm not saying it can't but what I do want to talk about is the fact that you know and, and I'm not huge on Utah after how they played against Baylor, but like we're talking about USC, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, um, Washington State, Colorado, UCLA, all being ranked, and Utah still being ranked 12 despite that Baylor game. That is insane. There's 12 teams in that conference, and eight of them are ranked. I, I, I don't really know how, to, how else to put that into perspective for you. Like They are dominating the top 25, and what do they have that the SEC doesn't? And I'm not sure that this is necessarily, uh, you know, a correlation equals causation. Um, but it's it's very interesting to look at Caleb Williams, quarterback. Michael Penix, quarterback. Bo Nix, quarterback. DJ Ungle, quarterback. Cam Ward, quarterback. Shador Sanders, quarterback. Dante Moore at UCLA, true freshman, five-star, quarterback. Utah, if Cam Rising ever comes back uh, healthy, he's their quarterback. 
Those are elite level quarterbacks. And you might not say, you know, uh, Cam Rising might not be, you know, an elite level quarterback, but he's damn good. I, I would put seven of those or six of those outside of Utah. I'd put six of those seven teams, uh, or seven, six of those seven quarterbacks in the top 20. And you might say, well, what about, you're really going to put DJU up there? Yeah, I am. We, we clearly saw in the Clemson-Duke game that it, it wasn't a DJU problem. It was a Clemson offensive talent problem. They just don't have guys. They, they lack talent on the outside at the skill positions to help the quarterback make plays. What he did in his first two games at Oregon State was just absolutely light up the field. He's a more pro-style quarterback in his own, you know, in his own right, and so the Clemson offense wasn't really tailored to what he did well. The Oregon State offense is, and he looked fantastic in San Jose State and uh, against UC Davis this past weekend. It, I truly believe that DJU is a is a top twenty quarterback. The one guy who's not quite there yet, but some point in his career will be is Dante Moore. He is phenomenal. There was a couple throws that he had against San Diego State. That's like, yeah, that's a that's a throw that a lot of guys can't make. You know, at at 19, 18, 19 years old against other college opponents. I don't care. You know, that they were playing San Diego State. Who? Last year was a top 20 defense, yes. This year they're, they're not as talented, but the point still stands. The SEC's got a quarterback problem, whereas the Pac-12, in its final season, has a quarterback overload, I guess you would call it. I mean, they're just overflowing with quarterback talent. Um, Caleb Williams is probably the, I mean, it, it, you know, the, the reigning Heisman, the number one pick, most likely, in my opinion, he should be the Heisman again. He's the best quarterback in America. I got upstart Shador Sanders, who is showing everybody that he is a first-round caliber quarterback. I got Michael Penix, who continues to impress me week after week after week. The lefty, the southpaw. Bo Nix, who, you know, if you look at his Auburn tape, sure, you can be out on Bo Nix, but there is no way you can look at how he played at Oregon last year and how he's played in the first two games this year and tell me that Bo Nix is not a top-20 quarterback. He is reach that level of talent and play. Um, Cam Ward, just please watch a Washington State game. That dude is unbelievable with what he, with what he can do with the ball in his hands. It is, it is quite crazy. Fantastic, fantastic. Like, I am so excited to watch Pac-12 play get started, and it already has with Stanford and USC, but like to really get into it because this is going to be an exciting conference. You know, a lot of these teams are great offensively. There are some that are also great defensively, or maybe good defensively, but lack that. Uh, a lot of them lack that defense, and I, I think that's you know a lot of points like the old Big Twelve was. But elite quarterback play is, is really the driving force behind it all. Because as good as these defenses can be, it's tough to stop the perfect throw, and a lot of these quarterbacks can make the perfect throw time and time again. My next takeaway: uh, Listen, I'm not going to apologize for Miami quite yet. But man, was I impressed with the way that they played on Saturday against Texas a and I, I, I truly was. I mean, I picked Texas A&M to win, and I, and I picked them to win by 14 points. What, te- what Miami did just, I don't want to say my jaw was on the floor because it wasn't. But man, they played really well. They played really well. Texas A&M isn't a bad team either. And I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, yeah, this is just two mid-teams playing each other. But, man, it just looks different than last year's game. you got actual playmakers making plays on the field. There was a clear talent jump. There was a clear coaching jump from last year's game. And that's about the offensive play calling on both sides to get rid of their play callers. I guess Jimbo, you know, they still he's still around. He's just not calling plays. And 
Miami did the right thing and got rid of Josh Gaddis, who's the worst offensive coordinator I have ever seen. Um, defensively, they were both fantastic. In last year's game, I think that was more offensive ineptitude, though. This year, man, as good as the defenses are talent-wise, it's tough to stop You know those fast, explosive plays on the other side of the ball. I mean, you can have an all... An all uh, what is it? All American safety. There we go. And Cam Kitchens at, at Miami, and it doesn't do anything uh, for your defense. But I was really impressed with what I saw from Miami. And, and, and as much as I give Mario Cristobal crap, that is a huge win for him. Um, man, this team might be able to compete in the ACC this year. And I know last week after Clemson lost, I was like, this is a two team race. You know, two team with an asterisk. Clemson would still compete in, in the ACC because. Um, you know, North Carolina does have its weaknesses, but man, I think Miami is, is it's, it's made it a four team race. I think that this, this ACC is, is starting to, you know, separate at the top. And I don't think the bottom's as bad as it used to be. I, I don't know what it is this year about the ACC and the PAC 12, but it just seems like, you know, they took collective jumps and I guess the ACC or the PAC 12 took their jump last year. And now they're just taking a, you know, uh, uh, it, last year was a leap. This year's a jump. Whereas the ACC, this the leap is from last year to this year. Um, Wake Forest won't be necessarily as good, but that's because they lost Sam Hartman. And maybe NC State won't be as good, but you got Duke. You got Georgia Tech playing good football. Um, Louisville playing good football. Now BC's probably the worst team in the country, um, and that's not and that's not like exaggerating. You know, power or that's not you know limiting it to Power Five. They might be the worst team in college football. Lost to Northern Illinois, only beat Holy Cross by three. I mean, they're a dead man walking. Where was I going? Yes, so Miami. Uh, they can compete in the ACC. Do I think they're as good as Florida State? No, not even close. Do I think they're as good as North Carolina? No, but I do think it is close. Um, as with Clemson, I don't know. They got a lot of stuff to figure out. I, I, they're a talented team defensively. Maybe not so much offensively. So I'm not really sure what to think about Clemson. They were, you know, Charleston Southern with some some turnover luck and, and Kate Klubnick making some idiotic plays was able to take a 14, seven lead in that game and, and ended up being 66, 17. So, so Clemson ran away with it, but like you get what I'm saying. So I think that the, uh, I think Miami could compete. Can they win it? Probably not. That's just, that's just how highly I think of FSU for takeaway. Uh, yeah. Brian Ferentz isn't the problem. Um, and, and I do want to preface this by saying, yes, Caden McNamara is a little banged up, is a little hurt, and, and this could just be them you know, being cautious with them because they don't want to. Um, you know, they're playing for later in the year. They're not playing for right now, and, and they're able to get wins because they have that fantastic defense. Um, but, man, you have a better quarterback. You got some transfers in, and you still can't put up points, right? 20 points against Iowa State. I think that was the same amount they put up last year. It might have been 10. No, they lost last year 10-7, to 7, I think. Like this is this is embarrassing. Like Brian Ferentz needs twenty five points to to keep his job, and he went twenty four in week one and twenty in week two, and they weren't great defenses, right? I mean, Iowa State's fine, but they're only a three point favorite at the Bobbies this weekend, um, so they'd be you know six point favorite on a neutral site. Like, is that is that a great team? I mean, you know how highly I think of Ohio, but like we haven't played that well offensively this season a lot of that's been because of injuries but like how good is is Iowa really they're in the top 25 uh of the AP this week which I think is absolutely insane it's not a top 25 team there's nothing that says that's a top 25 team it it actually kind of shows that you know the AP 
should cease to exist because a lot of the AP voters don't watch the own the, the sport that they vote on, which is kind of insane to think about. Um, uh, but they, they this offense it scored seven points, like so against Utah State they scored fourteen points in their first two drives, both of them passing touchdowns, and they proceeded to score I think it was ten points the rest of the way. So first two drives you get fourteen. And he scored 10 the rest of the way. I think they ended up having 9, 10 drives, something like that. That's not good. And then this week, they get one offensive score. They had a, a pick six, and they had a field goal. Two field goals, I think. So they get one touchdown. Like, I, Listen, I, I think it's good. I think it's about time that you can cut Brian Ferentz loose. Like, I don't even think you need to wait until the end of the year. It, he's clearly the problem. The offensive play calling is, is awful. There's no creativity. Very predictable. Um. Yeah, man. If it weren't for nepotism, right? Iowa team could be legit. You have the best defensive coordinator in the country. You have the best defense. Continue year after year after year. You have the best defense, and you don't even have that. You like your players aren't as talented as the teams you're playing, and yet they somehow, some way, always play up to the level of those teams. But that offense, man, shoots shoots you in the foot every single time. It's coaching malpractice from Kirk Ferentz. Um, for keeping Brian around. Uh, and it, it all stems from nepotism, which is sad, but it's true. Final takeaway, uh, listen, I genuinely do not understand how people put money on college football. I, 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 we make our picks for pride. Mike, is the only, Mike puts a little bit of money on it, but it's, it's like 50 cents. That's how much he, he bets. And, and he says he does it so that he can make better picks. I, I, I don't understand the logic there because like, I just want to be right. That's really what it comes I, I I'm a very prideful and competitive person. I just want to be right. I want to be able to say, hey, look at how well I pick games, you know? Um, and so there were two games this weekend, Texas Tech, Oregon, and Ole Miss Tulane. And I tweeted this out today, and I'm like, I guess yesterday when this, when this comes out, I'm like, like this, was, this was when, uh, when we tweeted out the uh, updated standings for, um, for the pickums, And I was like, I was like, this is insane. I was I was an, uh, a Tyler Shook pick six away from going four and two. So if he doesn't throw that pick six on that final drive, Texas Tech covers, which I picked them to do. I did pick them that went outright. They were they were actually close to doing so. They were I think they were the better team on Saturday. If I'm being honest, um, if he doesn't throw that pick six, I'm four and two, right? And I'm feeling really good about myself after you know starting two and five and a three and three week last week. Four and two hit my lock. The lock curse is dead. Kansas got her done. Maybe I just got to ride Kansas the rest of the way. Um, and then, so that was that was the late window. I was already three and two at that point. So I thought I was going four and two. But the three thirty game, Ole Miss Tulane, I would. It was a seven and a half number. I, I hated it. I hated the seven. The seven and the hook always gets you. It's a terrible number because there's. Right, you look at the common scores of football, and and seven is a lot more common than eight or nine. And with those teams, seven and a half felt like a really good number. Like Vegas did a good job with that. And I thought, you know what? I think Ole Miss is the better team. I'm going to pick them, but I could get screwed on the number here with the backdoor cover. And wouldn't you know it? Uh, that's exactly what was about to happen. Um, and then Ole Miss, I had the luckiest sequence of events. It was like a, it was a third and seven. And this was towards the end of the game. There was like two minutes left, and one first down killed it. One first down, it was the end, uh, was the end of the game, right? And they were only up by seven at this point. It was twenty-seven to twenty. 
and Ole Miss, I'm like, I'm like, okay, maybe if Ole Miss gets six yards and it's fourth and one, they'll kick the field goal. I, I can't remember how long of a field goal it would have been. Um, I think it was like 47, something like that. Uh, and so they get they get the six yards. Jackson Dart does like a QB draw, uh, QB power. I can't remember the exact play. Gets gets the six yards and it's fourth and one. They come out and they're going to go for it. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. False start. False start. So it moves him back five yards, and then Lane sends out the field goal unit. I was like, yes, yes. Thank you so much, Lane. And the kicker drills it um, to make it 30 to 20. And then um, there was a, I think it was a scoop and score um, by Ole Miss to make it 37-20 on that final possession. Um to really seal the game. So they ended up winning by 17, but man, that was a close game. And I was really sweating it out there for a second. My point is, I know somebody who had $250 on that Texas Tech game, on this on the Texas Tech spread. They lost $250 because Tyler Shook decided he wanted to throw it right at the chest of an Oregon defender. H- how do you mentally and emotionally do that to yourself week after week after week? I mean, this game is so fickle. It is so unpredictable and people are putting you know a decent amount of money on some of these games I, I don't get it and I will never understand how people do it you will never see me bet a game like that I, I just I cannot I cannot physically do that because as good as some of my picks have been you know in in 21 what happened last year, it's like that can happen at any given time. Like you can have a year where I think collectively between college football and the NFL, I was like 35 games under 500. Like that, like imagine if I put actual money on that. Whereas the year before I was like, I think it was like 23 games up or something like that with college football and or like 20 games up with college football and NFL combined. I mean, like that stuff, man. That stuff—it just you just can't have it happen, man. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how people do it. I I really don't losing that kind of money because because of something so so fickle like that. I guess that's just the difference between me and a lot of people. I uh, I've been called frugal many a times. Let's get to the NFL now. Um, so there's a couple games that I'm going to talk about. I have my five takeaways, but then if something you know something comes up, a thought that I have about some of these other games, um, then I'll talk about it because I, I do want to cover a lot of good games. There's a lot of good games this weekend, and I do want to uh, talk about some uh, talk about them. And I know I know Bobby um, would have talked about a couple of them that I I didn't touch because I knew he was going to talk about them. But you know schedules lining up and whatnot. Wanted to get this out on you know today or on a Tuesday rather than a Thursday because what's the point of getting out? Uh, uh, you know, a takeaways episode from the week when it's a Thursday, right? Like our picks show be, should be going up on on Friday. Like you know, I you know I'm boring you with the logistics of everything. First one, the Lions are here to stay. You know, I want to say that again. I want to give it a little bit more gumption. The Lions are here to stay. What they did to Kansas City in Arrowhead to open up the season. It's getting overlooked a little bit. A lot of people are putting an asterisk on it. Like Tariko said so after the game. A lot of people are saying, oh, you didn't deserve that win. You didn't earn that win. These are coming from fans of opposing teams, mostly Chicago and Minnesota and Green Bay, which is fair. It's it's how rivalries work. But what they don't understand is that before Dan Campbell got to Detroit, I've been admittedly hard on him. Before he got to Detroit... 
That's a game the Lions lose 100 times out of 100. I mean, we're talking about going for it on fourth and two. Jared Goff throws a pass, gets knocked down at the line. Kansas City's got the ball. Every, every Lions fan at that point thought the game was over. Thought Kansas City was winning this game. They're going to go down. They're going to kick a field goal. They're going to win this game 23-21. No, sorry. Didn't happen. And then when Kansas City had to punt the ball away, I guess they didn't punt it. It was a fourth and 20 that they didn't get. The Lions ran out the clock. Just absolutely pounded the rock. Said, our guys are better than yours. Or our offensive line is stronger than your defensive line. And, and they won the game. Was Kansas City at full strength? No. Is any team in the NFL ever at full strength? No. What Did Kansas City have some drops? Yes. But did Kansas City put Kadarius Tony on the field in those key situations? In those key situations, also yes. It was their choice to play Kadarius Tony rather than Justin Ross. So miss me with all of that stuff because drops are a part of the game, right? Drops are a part of the game. If you don't want those drops to happen, put guys with more reliable hands out on the field. And I know a lot of people who who either had money on Kansas City or you know don't like the Lions and, and all the hype that they had. Are, are complaining about that. Listen, man, you had Justin Ross on, on the sideline. He has shown that he is capable of catching a football. We saw it at Clemson. We saw it in the pre. He had a catch in the game, right? You decided to put Kadarius Tony out there. You decided to put Sky Moore out there. It's your choice. It was Andy Reid's choice. Also, it's Brett Veach's choice for not drafting better, you know, not getting better offensive weapons, letting Tyree Kill go. That was his choice. It was their prerogative to do so. And so, yeah, that's going to hurt you. People are going to be like, oh, well, they didn't have Travis Kelsey. But yeah, they also got a good amount of production from their two tight ends. Noah Gray and uh, what's his name? Bell's, uh, something Bell. Got great production from them. This Lions team is real. They are for real. And, and we haven't even seen them at full strength. They, you know, don't have J- Jamison Williams. There was, a, there was a very noticeable vertical passing element missing to that offense. And that's something that, you know, with Jared Goff, I don't really know how vertical an offense can be, right? And that's been the criticism of him that I've had and a lot of other people have had. But you're missing your fastest player in Jameson Williams. Yes, he gambled. It's on him. And does, he, he deserves to be out. He, he broke the rules. Um, are they stupid rules? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Um, but he broke them. So, unfortunately for him, he's got to sit out. And so they were basically just picking apart the Kansas City defense by, you know, hitting Aminra with, you know, quick seven-yard hitches or slants. And it's like, you know what's coming. You still can't stop it. Giving the ball to Jameer Gibbs on, on uh, some outside carries. Getting the ball in the passing game. It's like just getting the playmakers open in space. Josh Reynolds having a big game. Like, you can't, you can't tell me that the Lions didn't deserve to win that game when Josh Reynolds went four catches for 80 yards. Josh Reynolds. This was a guy who... When, when people looked at our skill at our wide receiver group, said, oh, Josh Reynolds, why, why is he even on, your, on a team? He's not, he's not a, an NFL caliber wide receiver or a starting caliber wide receiver. Meanwhile, he's been playing X and Z for us you know, last year, this year. He's been, he was fantastic. He stepped up in a big way. That defense, that Lions defense was phenomenal getting after Patrick Mahomes. Did they bring him down? No. Did they get after him and make him, make him uncomfortable? Absolutely they did. Aiden Hutchinson had seven pressures. 
Even though uh, Jawan Taylor was essentially cheating the entire night. I mean, the snap thing is is one thing, right? That 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 is a thing that happened last year. It happened the year before. You know, great tackles use it to their advantage. They're just very good at getting off. And I... I'd like to know. I'd like to like. I'd like to talk to Jawan and and get you know his his take on it because Duke Merriweather put out a tweet and, and sure enough he's moving just as the ball is and so I'd like to I'd like to get uh, you know his kind of mindset and, and when he knows he can go and, and whatnot. But the the way he was cheating was he was literally set up three yards deep in the backfield and and it basically caught off any angle that Aiden had to get to the quarterback and yet he was still getting home you know and. Those are the things that that I think that people aren't really looking at. They're just looking at the drops from the KC side, even though they only had four. And the reason why people are saying this is because, or was it? It was three or four. I can't remember. The reason why people are saying this is because they came at crucial moments. Yes, and I understand that. But you know, one of them on Kadarius Tony, I, I don't even think it was his fault. I think it was a a poorly timed throw. Um, it wasn't necessarily a bad throw, but I just think that when you have a mesh, you know, you have crossers crossing each other. You throw it right as they're crossing each other. You can't pick up a ball when it when you're at like four yards depth. And so I think that was on, on Mahomes a little bit. But the other three were, were definitely, you know, on the receivers that should have caught the ball. The one to Sky Moore um, on that fourth and, and 20, I don't know if that was the if that was his intended target, one. I mean, it was Patrick Mahomes, so it probably was. But two, like that would have also been an insanely tough catch to make. So, uh, like, I, I really say two of them. You know, are legit drops, and and yes, Skymore could have caught it. I don't know if he should have caught it though. That's really where the distinction comes in. I think it's a, I think it's a legit team, and I, listen, man, I, I don't want to make any bold proclamations about a team that I've seen you know hurt me so many times. But man, I do think that they could be a top three team in the NFC, maybe top four with how uh, with how the Forty ers looked, but. And I, I was impressed with how they went into Arrowhead and played. And I hope, I, I hope they do that again against Seattle. Because the thing about the Lions the past two years is they already start, they always started out, always finished very well. My, my concern this year was, you know, dropping games that dropping winnable games early in the season because it always took them a little bit to get going. Okay. Let's move on to the Rams now. Uh, I think they're shysty again, and I think a lot of it is because Matthew Stafford is back and fully healthy. Well, I was able to, and, and thank you, Mina Kimes and uh, Nate Trice and Bill Barnwell for posting the All-22 clips on Twitter so I was able to watch. But he was surgical with the way he was you know, tearing up that, that Seahawks defense. The Seahawks defense that I thought was going to play a lot better than they did. Um, there was a couple throws that Stafford had. It was like, that's the old Stafford. That's the guy that, you know, that was so good in Detroit and was so good in 2021. And his leading receivers were Puka Nakua. I'm a, big, I'm a Puka Nakua, Nakua truther. I, I loved him at BYU. He, his, his knock was that he could never stay healthy, and that's why he was a fifth-round pick. Dude had all the talent in the world to go in the second or third round, uh, probably second, but could not stay on the field um, at Washington or at BYU. And so that was really his, his big knock. And he was healthy on Sunday. Look what he did, 10 catches for 150, 115. I can't remember exactly how many yards he had. Um, but he was phenomenal, tearing up that Seahawks defense. And then Tutu Atwell, Tutu Atwell, who I always got made fun of for being a Tutu Atwell fan, had six catches for 119 yards. So, And they didn't even run the ball that well. Uh, Cam Akers had 22 carries for 29 yards. Yeah, yeah, that was an actual stat. I think Kyron Williams, though, was 16 for 51. Um, they got to get my boy Zach having some more touches. That's, that's, that's my 
two cents on the running back room. But like, man, that offense was looking really good. And, and that defense, that defense was looking good too. And, and for me, the reason why I picked the Rams to finish seven and 10 was because I, I thought they were so rookie heavy that it was going to be a detriment to them. And you didn't really see that against, admittedly, a, a younger Seahawks team um, who also lost both of their tackles during the game. But, man, Matthew Stafford was delivering the ball, and he was doing it really well. He was, you know, he, he did what he did. He's got a strong arm, and he was he was fitting the ball into some tight windows. And, um, and I... They did it without Cooper Cup, too, which is the crazy thing. Once they get him back, and I, I think they put him on the IR, so he's out four weeks, but once they get him back, Nakua stays healthy. If if Tutu Atwell stays healthy, if Van Jefferson you know gets more to 21 Jefferson than he was last year and he stays healthy, man, that's a good wide receiver room. Like That is a legit... I, I'd have to look at some other wide receiver rooms. It's top 10 for sure, but I don't know I don't know where you'd rank him in the top 10, but that's a that's a damn good wide receiver room, and I think that uh, I think that a lot of people were undervaluing this kind of... I don't want to call it a resurgence because he was playing hurt last year, Stafford was, but you know, he's looking like he's looking like 2021 Matt Stafford again. And if I'm in the uh, if I'm in the NFC West, I, I'm scared, and especially from the Seahawks because I lost a divisional game round one to a team that I don't know if they're better than. But that final score, man, was it 31-13 or something like that? Man, it wasn't even close. And the Rams thoroughly dominated that game. Three, the Cleveland Browns were one defensive coordinator away from being Super Bowl contenders. And I know you might be saying that this is a crazy take, but adding Jim Schwartz and getting rid of Joe Woods was the single best decision the Cleveland Browns organization has ever made. The way that defense played on Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals was amazing. I, I I can't really come up with a word. Phenomenal, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. I get the rain, right? I get the weather was an aspect, but they dominated that offensive line. Dominated. Joe Burrow was getting pressured left and right, making him uncomfortable in the pocket. The very first play of the game, Miles Garrett comes screaming off the edge and almost forces a fumble. I mean, man. They had guys flying around, and the corners were playing great. Martin Emerson, Greg Newsom, Grant Delpit, for Christ's sake, was playing really well. You got JOK, of course, who, who coming out was an athletic freak that um, I was a pretty big fan of. Man, and, and of course, um, Zadarius Smith and, uh, oh, what's his name? No, I'm going to do it again. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this name. Oh, no. Oh, what's his name? Okay, we're, we're on our lads right now. We're going to the depth chart. I want to do some good podcasting here. Um, wait, where is it? Uh, Agbo Akaronkwo. There he is. Um, he was fantastic as well. Another edge guy who was in that second group. But, like, those were two guys that uh, combined for 115 pressures last year. Outside of Miles Garrett, the Browns defense, I think, had 60 um, or, like, 80. Uh, that was the entire the entire defense outside of Miles Garrett. And so adding those two guys only makes this defensive line scarier. You obviously have Dalvin Tomlinson as well. Man, I, the offense is still a question mark, yes. It looked a lot better adding Elijah Moore to that offense. 
Nick Chubb looks as great as uh, as possible. Jack Conklin tearing his ACL and MCL is not great in week one. Um, it was Man, it was one of those plays, too, where he kind of knew when it happened that it wasn't good, especially with the way that he reacted. That wide receiver room is good. and I think once Deshaun settles in, which I think he will, and I, I know a lot of people are not going to like that, but I think Deshaun's going to settle in. I mean, there were some throws that he had that were nice. Um, he was he was having a couple balls die on him, but in his post-game presser, he said he was gripping the ball a little bit um, a little bit tighter because the rain. You don't, obviously don't want to let the ball slip out of your hands, and so, so as he was throwing, it was kind of like a change-up rather than a fastball, which you know, you're going to have in Cleveland with, with the weather systems that go through there off of Lake Erie, but it's not going to be an every week thing. So I would expect that offense to be better. But man, that defense, that defense, that defense. It's going to be a top 10 defense. I, 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 think, I, I think I said that um, when we did our NFL predictions. I was serious about it, man. They got players, um, you know, every single level. They're young, too. And, and Jim Schwartz, man. And I don't know if this is just because I was really familiar with Jim, Swar- Jim Schwartz because he was the head coach um, of the Lions, but our defenses were always really physical and aggressive when he was the head coach uh, in Detroit. And, and, man, if you can just get him calling plays, and we saw it. Like, he was getting after Burrow, and, and they were able to play man coverage on the back end. Like, with, with Joe Woods, it was always, let's just sit back and let things happen, right? It was the Vangio-style defense. Just play quarters, keep everything in front of you, uh, you know, don't, don't give up the shot play. That's not you can't play that against quarterbacks that that don't have a strong arm, right? And, and that's why they would get diced up so much. That's why you know the Jets game happened because he wasn't aggressive. Whereas if they were aggressive in that situation, when you have a top three edge rusher in the NFL, you know good things can happen. And my God, Miles Garrett is unbelievable. He truly is just one of one um, with the way with his physique. His, his his stature and his ability to bend, his quickness, his agility. People can say T.J. Watt. People can say Michael Parsons. But nobody is as strong as Miles Garrett. No, let me put it this way. Nobody has the combination of Miles Garrett's strength, his raw strength, and his raw speed. He is an alien. And I know that term gets thrown around a lot, but he is a legitimate alien. Um Man, it's so fun watching him play football. I know the clip was going around where he's doing the crossovers and the hezzy before the snap, and, and I think it was Ted Karras who was the center uh, for the Bengals. Just uh, had no chance, absolutely none. Um, Garrett just made, made his life hell, and, and Burrow had to slide and get the ball out. Um, four, man, uh, Jesus. If someone, if someone told you that Justin Fields was going to be a top-five quarterback this year, I want you to go to them right now and be like, and ask them. I want you to ask them. Why don't you know ball? Because anybody that thought Justin Fields was going to make any sort of a jump to the top five level as a quarterback is absolutely insane. What I saw on Sunday is the same Justin Fields that I saw last year. It's the same Justin Fields that I saw the year before He has not gotten better. And Chicago fans and Justin Fields sympathizers across the country are going to tell you, well, his offensive line still sucks. And he's got weapons now, right? I heard from Chicago Bears fans all offseason that their offensive weapons were better than the Lions. Where were they? Was it the fact that their quarterback can't read a defense? Was it the fact that their quarterback doesn't throw an accurate football? Because, to me, 
those weapons, you know, like you said, we're supposed to help him. And threw for less than 200 yards again. We're talking about a quarterback who has never thrown for 3,000 yards in his NFL career. A quarterback who has thrown double-digit interceptions. Who has also been subpar with his completion percentage. And people were talking about him as an MVP candidate. And I have no idea why. Not a clue. His throw to Quay Walker. That's right. Quay Walker plays for the Packers. Which was then turned into a pick six. Was one of the worst reads that I saw this weekend. From a college quarterback or an NFL quarterback. There was no... uh, Kenny Pickett might have him. Kenny Pickett was bad. Um, But there was no... Absolutely no way that he was completing that football. And yet he threw it anyway. And I know what people like about Justin Fields. And I know, I know what, what draws them in. He's got a strong arm, right? He's, he can push the ball down the field. And he's fantastic at breaking sacks and, and extending plays and, and running the football. But man, when my quarterback can't be a field general, which has always been my problem with Lamar, when my quarterback can't be a field general and can't get the ball to his guys... I, I just can't have you be my quarterback, right? Um, it's just, it's so frustrating because Bears fans, you know, I, I always, like my, my, my hate list for, for fans in the NFC North was always Packers, Bears, Vikings, right? And the Vikings I kind of view as like a secondary thing because I think, uh, you know, they, they don't really, you know, come at the Lions much. And I, I kind of like their I like their team. I'm going to be honest. I, I like the guys on their team. But, like, man, when Bears fans were saying that they were going to win 10 games this year, when Bears fans were saying Justin Fields was going to be an MVP, man, that just grinded my gears, man. It just pissed me off. And, and I don't know if they were trying to sell themselves some sort of false hope or if they legitimately believed that. I hope it's the former. Because if it's the latter, man... Jeez, that's embarrassing. That is embarrassing. Don't expect some sort of, you know, miraculous recovery from this. And I know people are going to say, oh, it's Luke Getze. It's their offensive coordinator who calls plays, man. It can't always be other people, right? It can't always be other people. And I saw the stat. It was two for two of of throws 20-plus yards on the field. Okay, yeah, sure. they, They only threw the ball down the field twice, but what was his completion percentage other than that? When throws were not 20 yards down the field, you know, the um, the short to intermediate game where a lot of football is played. Because I know people talk about, you know, throws downfield and wanting to have a, a big arm quarterback, and I'm going to get into this with my, with my next take, my next takeaway, but, you know, majority of football, especially in the passing game, is played between 0 and 15 yards. Like, I mean, it's it's a very dra- like once you go once you get to twenty yards, there's a drastic drop off to how many passes are attempted at that point and beyond. He's just not good in those areas. He's not a quarterback, right? He's an athletic football player that plays quarterback. And I'm just sick and tired of people. You know, I was sick and tired of people telling me that he was going to be you know legit. As for the guy on the other side of the field, Jordan Love, man, he looked good. He looked good. He was able to deliver the football where and when it needed to be, on time. There was a couple guys he missed, yes, but 
You know, I don't think Jordan Love is going to be Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre, but I think Jordan Love is going to be a damn good quarterback. I think he'll be in kind of that, you know, Kirk Cousins range where he's going to miss some throws. He's going to have some off games, but more often than not, you're going to be rely, be able to rely on him to not turn the ball over, which has been a huge problem for Fields, and move your team down the field and get points, which is what Jordan Love did, right? And and I heard Colin Cowherd talk about this today on uh, on the herd. He said, you know, Jordan Love's drives got points. They scored 38 points. When he was the quarterback, his team got points. And I was like, initially I thought about it. I was like, I don't love using that. But like, he's not wrong. What's a quarterback supposed to do? What is a quarterback supposed to do? Move his team down the field. Put them in range to get uh, a touchdown or a field goal. That's exactly what Jordan Love did. Um, So I, I, I just think that, and I know it's week one. I don't want to overreact. But I feel like it's not an overreaction to Fields because this is what he's shown on tape. He's not great at processing. He's not great at reading a defense. He doesn't, he doesn't do progressions well. Tries to do way too much in the, in, in the scheme of the offense. Oh, I'm, done. I'm done. I'm done with my rant on Justin Fields. I feel like that went way too long and I was repeating a lot of the same stuff. But I needed to get it off my chest. And here's the guy that I wanted to talk about. That I just always, I always put him down. I think some of it was because of the the Justin Herbert, you know, being in the same draft class. But man, Tua, Tua's proven me wrong. He, he's he really impressed me on Sunday, like to the point where I'm gonna put my hand up. My hand is up. I was wrong about Tua Tagovailoa. He was, I'll say, he was elite against the Chargers. And, and now I think that there's some issues with that Chargers defense with, you know, Brandon Staley being a, I'm sorry to go, on a, go off on a tangent here about the Chargers, but Brandon Staley being a defensive coach and not being able to get a defense just, oh my God. How can he not figure out his defense? I don't understand. Um, but Tua, getting back, getting back to the original point. Man, he really impressed me. There was a throw. Which throw was it? It was a third and, ten, third and long Tyreek, there he's he's rolling out and he puts this ball on the money on the run. I'm like, damn it, Tua, why do you why do you have to do this to me? He doesn't have the strongest arm, but what does he do well? And 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 the the, the issue that I really had with him is that he he's got two of the fastest wide receivers in the game and it's tough for them to push the ball down the field. And we saw that against the Chargers, there was a couple underthrown deep balls, but like I said, when he was working in that in that zero to twenty range. In the intermediate, the short to intermediate range, he was lethal, man. He was lethal, and and I, I I'm just done. I'm done arguing with the fact that his inability to throw seventy yards down the field matters because it's a stupid argument at this point. He does a fantastic job getting the ball to Tyree Kill and Jalen Wilder in stride, which I didn't give him enough credit for. He gets the ball to them in stride where they're able to make plays after the catch. He knows exactly where he needs to go. He doesn't, and, and I know he was called to, to a turn the ball over for a while, but man, that Tua on Sunday, there was a bad pick in the end zone um, that he threw, who was it to? It was it J.C. Jackson? Um, but man, for the most part, and I think they threw the ball a lot. I can't remember exactly how many times they threw it, but he looked like a top 10 quarterback for majority of that game. There's still some things, like I mentioned, that he has to clean up. 
but I'm done. I'm just, I'm just done fighting, you know, in, in a losing battle. You know, if he comes out next week and, and throws five interceptions and has a completion percentage at like 42%, maybe I'll be back with a vengeance. But man, I, I don't see that happening with how he played on Sunday. He was just phenomenal. Some other games I want to talk about. Man, the Cowboys are legit Super Bowl contenders. Um, that defense is for real. The offense didn't need to do much last night, and I think that we'll see them open up the playbook a little bit more um, in some tighter games. But I think that I think that Dak will be a limiting factor to that offense. But I, I don't know if it necessarily matters just because of how good that defense was. Right? They're going to be able to run the ball. They've got playmakers on the outside, and I think Dak is going to be more comfortable in this offense than he has in the past. And if he's Kirk Cousins, man, this team is legit. I mean, I, I think after what we saw from Philly. I think they could beat the Eagles, or I think they could beat out the Eagles for the NFC East, like, actually. As for the Giants, they may be worse than I gave them credit for. They have them going 9-8, and eight in that offensive line, that offensive line is the worst offensive line I've ever seen, maybe, question mark? I, I think that Daniel Jones, the, the, final, pressure, the final pressure rate that, that that offensive line gave up was like 67%. And yes, like I mentioned, that Cowboys defensive line is elite with Michael Parsons and Dexter Lawrence and, and some of the other guys that stepped up. But I'll tell you what. There is no way in hell that in an NFL football game, your offensive line should be giving up 67% pressure rate. Daniel Jones was dying back there. As much as I think Daniel Jones is not a good quarterback, he had no chance to prove that he was a bad quarterback or a good quarterback either way, right? He had no chance to prove it. Couldn't run the football. They couldn't do anything. That was a three phase, three phases of the game. Absolute disappointment for the Giants um, at home week one. It's a tough scene, but I just think that's what the Cowboys are going to do to teams this year. It's going to frustrate a lot of teams. I am not happy that the Lions have to play them. Not at all, because that is going to be a bad game for them. Um, Matt Jones and the, the Patriots offense looked Looked competent again. Um, man, I was kind of hoping they didn't, but that, that division could be like what I thought the AFC North was going to be could be what the uh, AFC East is because the Patriots played really well against the Eagles. Obviously, we just talked about the Dolphins, and I think tonight, or I guess last night, when you're watching this, We'll have had the Jets and Bills final score, which I have the Jets winning that game, but uh, we'll see how good the Bills look. But, man, man, hey, hey, there might be a world where the Bills finish third in this division. And it's tough when before you see the teams play to, to think that that could happen, but it could. It very well could. Um, then I want to talk about the Steelers and the 49ers. That game was ugly. Kenny Pickett might be the worst quarterback in the NFL right now. Um, the throws that he was making were awful. The decisions, I should say, that he was making were awful. And so were the actual throws. They were off target. Uh, there was nothing about that Steelers offense. Because I don't like Najee Harris as a running back, right? I, I just don't. Um, there was nothing about that offense that made me think that this team was going to win more than set, six games this this um this season. Because I thought that the defense was going to be able to keep in a lot of games this week. And I know they're playing the 49ers and whatnot. And, Brock Purdy looked like, uh, you know, Brock Purdy on steroids. Like, he looked better than last year. And, and man, as much as I, I just hate 49ers quarterbacks because they're a good team and they win games, um, and, and people are like, oh, that's a good quarterback because he just knows how to win, like they did with Jimmy Garoppolo. He actually looks like a good quarterback, which is tough for the rest of the NFC um, to see. But those Steelers, 
And I don't even think it was I didn't I wasn't able to watch, you know, all of the game, but some of the stuff I saw on Twitter or the all twenty two, Matt Canada didn't call a terrible game in terms of concepts. Now I don't know I don't know down and distance and, and game flow, but like there was a couple of plays where I was like, that's a good concept to run, right? You're you're creating um, throwing lanes and, and and keys for Kenny to throw to. And he had guys open. He was just flat out missing them. Um, which I could have told you Kenny Pickett was going to be an elite quarterback. Like, I, I I understand that quarterback was a big need for that team when they drafted him in 21. I guess it was the 22 draft, but, I, man. Uh, and I feel like I'm saying, man, I, I'm, I have some crutch, crutch words in this episode that I'm, I keep going back to. <laughs> but I'll tell you why. It's going to be a long season in Pittsburgh if Kenny can't figure it out. It's going to be a long season if he can't figure it out. Um... Are there any other games I want to talk about? Yes, there is one more that I want to talk about. Uh, I guess two more. Uh, real quick, I, I do want to talk about the Titans and how I think that uh, they have a serious quarterback issue that I don't think they'll be able to fix because I don't believe in Ryan Tannehill. Three interceptions um, in that game against the Saints is un- unexcusable or is inexcusable. They got Malik Willis, didn't put him in the game at any point, so they don't believe in him because Ryan Tannehill should have been pulled early. And... I don't believe in Will Levis as a rookie. I think that there are traits there where he can be he can be good, you know, year two and beyond, but but not this year. Absolutely not this year. And so I think the Titans and, and specifically DeAndre Hopkins, who, who made a terrible decision going there, uh, I think it's going to be a long year for them. And you know, maybe the Colts with how they played against Jacksonville, maybe uh, maybe they're a team that could sneak up and take number two in that division. Um, but the other game I want to talk about was the Minnesota Vikings and the. Um, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Minnesota just cannot get out of its way. It, it's just time and time again, and Kirk didn't have a great game, um, you know, throwing a couple of those picks, but they, it seems like they always shoot themselves in the foot, and it's a consistent thing that they can't really get over. Baker looked good in the second half, and those weapons looked good, but the Bucks defense showed up in, in, in a way that I was, I was curious to see if they would because it kind of felt like um, I, not they, they weren't necessarily punting on the season, but that you know they won their Super Bowl in 2020, and it was just you know they've been there, done that type thing. And, and I wasn't sure the motivations behind you know behind some of those guys like a Devin White. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you what, man. And there's there's another crush. I'll tell you what. And then I put man at the end of it too. Uh, they looked really good, and I, I think that in that division with how New Orleans looked and how Carolina and Atlanta looked. I think the division's wide open, and, and the Bucks actually could win it. And I saw somebody say that on Twitter, um, that the their unpopular hot take was that the uh, the Bucks are going to win the division. And, and, and they very well might. I still think it's a bad division, um, but that was a surprising week one win, and I got to give credit. I got to give uh, credit where credit is due. So so good on the uh, Bucks to beat the Vikings week one. I'll always take it, right? I'll always take a division rival losing, um, especially to an opponent I viewed as inferior. So I think that's all I got for you today. No other games I really want to talk about. Thank you so much for watching. Hope you enjoyed. Catch you on the flip. See ya.